Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. Now, if you'll please join me in the words for lighting the chalice, they're printed in your order of service. We light this chalice... I invite you to center yourselves after the announcements with the upcoming business of the annual meeting. Let's take a moment to just be here now together. Settle into the quiet. Breathe deeply and slowly. And really listen. I want you to try to chase the sound as far into the silence as you can. Breathe and listen. It always feels appropriate to me on. Oh, welcome. <laughs> Come in. <laughs> It always feels appropriate on annual meeting Sundays to open our services together with words from longtime minister of this congregation, the Reverend Ken Patton. Today is our opening words. I offer you his piece, This House. As I speak his words, really listen. Listen to what he claims for a house such as this. This house is for the ingathering of nature and human nature. It is a house of friendships, a haven in trouble, an open room for the encouragement of our struggle. It is a house of freedom, guarding the dignity and worth of every person. It offers a platform for the free voice, for declaring both in times of security and danger the full and undivided conflict of opinion. It is a house of truth-seeking, where scientists can encourage devotion to their quest, where mystics can abide in a community of searchers. It is a house of art, adorning its celebrations with melodies and handiworks. It is a house of prophecy, outrunning times past and times present in visions of growth and progress. This house is a cradle for our dreams, the workshop of our common endeavor. This house offers us challenge, but it also offers us support and love and community and so much joy. This house offers us belonging, understanding, a place to be seen and heard and known. This house offers us a place to call home. So welcome home. Every Sunday that we gather, we also take time in our service to be together in silence. I'm mindful each week that there are as many ways to use this time as there are people sitting in this room. 
Some of you pray, some of you daydream, some of you focus on your breath as it moves in and out of your body. I'm guessing some of you write your grocery lists in your head. There are so many ways for this time to be used. I want to encourage you, however you engage your mind and your heart in this time, to begin by settling your body. Find as comfortable a position as you can. Plant your feet on the floor. Let your hands be relaxed in your lap, on your knees, whatever works for your body. Close your eyes if that feels comfortable. And take a deep, slow breath. And let it out slowly. Make each breath deep and slow. Feel the air filling your lungs and feel your being begin to release. All week, every day, every moment, we carry so much in our bodies and we don't even realize. Grief, anger, fear, frustration, joy, determination, commitment, anticipation, pressure, tension, desire, longing, hope, disappointment, a wild mix of feeling every moment of our lives. These feelings arise from the being human that we do the struggles and joys of our own lives, the challenges and triumphs of our communities, the fears and hopes of our collective humanity. They build and build and build in us. So here, now, in this home, among people that see you and know you and love you, put it all down. Let it out. Smile, cry, whatever you are moved to in this quiet time. Let out what you carry and breathe. Slowly and deeply. We'll sit together in silence. Then we'll sing. Then we'll observe some more silence. Breathe. May we find time every day to breathe in peace and breathe out love, helping to ease not only our own lives, but the lives of those around us. So may it be. Last week when I wasn't here, you all got to hear from some of our children about their elevator speeches. Was anyone here for that? I heard it was great, um, and I'm very proud of them. I'm sure that if you hadn't already, that that service probably made you consider your elevator speech so that 
10 to 20 floor soundbite that somehow conveys what this thing Unitarian Universalism is. I have mine. If I were on an escalator, right, so not even as long as an elevator, my speech would be very simple. We believe in interdependent oneness and universal love. A mid-length elevator ride, I might say, we are people who believe that we are all connected and that existence and being is suffused with abundant love, and we believe that uncovering our deepest, best selves and creating heaven on earth requires shared intentional community, not shared theology. Give me the Empire State Building, <laughs> and you're getting something like this, only probably even longer, let's be realistic, I like a lot of words. Unitarians and Universalists were independent religious groups whose beliefs and commitment to social justice overlapped. Unitarians believed in one God and thus the oneness of all things. Universalists believed that God was all-loving and so everyone, everyone would be saved. They merged and created a non-dogmatic, non-creedal, covenantal faith with aspirations to love and justice. And we use focus on creating a unified world of love. Now, if you got my elevator speech in the Empire State Building, you might react the way many have over the years, and I don't just mean to me and my speech. You might get stuck on the whole everyone will be saved thing. Everyone, no matter what, everyone. But then can't you just do whatever you want in life because it doesn't matter? That was the critique leveled at Universalists a century ago, and it still gets aimed our way on occasion. If everyone gets saved and no one is held to account in death, to what are you accountable? I'm in an online space where a question has been circulating. What holds you accountable? That's the whole question, and the answer is freeform, and I've been really struck by people's answers. Can you guess what the most frequent answer is? is it mother? Someone said your mother? <laughs> It's a great answer, but no. <laughs> the most common answer has been me. I hold myself accountable. I'm accountable to myself. And I find it fascinating. And I find it maybe symptomatic of our very me-oriented culture, or maybe it's generational. I don't know. It may be that it's just a somewhat lazy answer, and they really mean to say my moral code or my ethical system or the values I learned as a child. I'm honestly not sure. We're going to try this, though. I want you to ask yourself, what holds me accountable? And then I want you to share it with the person next to you very briefly. We don't, we don't need a whole long, but just briefly share what holds you accountable. How would you answer that question? And share it with the person sitting next to you. Okay, you'll have time, I promise, to say more. John says you all like words too, and he's not wrong. So very coincidentally to having today's service be about accountability and this question that was circulating in this online space, a couple of emails arrived from my professional body. So the first email came from the Board of Trustees of the Unitarian Universalist Ministers Association, and it read in part... We, the Board of Trustees of the Unitarian Universalist Ministers Association, wish to offer an apology on behalf of the institution for the harm we have done by failing to take appropriate action arising from sexual misconduct committed by our members. 
We regret our actions or inactions that have in any way ignored, minimized, or not responded appropriately to misconduct. While the great majority of our colleagues have conducted themselves with the utmost honesty and integrity, a few have not, and our institution did not always live up to its responsibility to take appropriate action. We offer this apology because we recognize that there has been a collective and systemic failure brought about by misplaced values. The letter goes on to say that they recognize that historically a value has been placed on individual colleagues rather than on survivors of misconduct, that peace above conflict was valued, that health and stability of the institutions was valued over the health of those harmed. And I share this not because we're going to go deep into issues of misconduct today, but because it was a good example of taking responsibility and being held to account. And it was followed with another email from the Reverend Cheryl Walker, who's president of the UUMA, which had the subject line, blessed by accountability. In it, she tells a story. She writes, three years ago at the opening worship of ministry days, our colleague, Reverend Teresa Soto, left in the middle of the service. Teresa is in a scooter, and our service was all about walking. Like so many people, my first reaction was defensive. We didn't mean to be harmful. That wasn't our intention. We were using walking metaphorically, yada, yada, yada. Teresa was calling us into accountability, and I was resisting. Teresa was right. I could have used different language. There was a lot I could have done had I spent a moment thinking. Teresa blessed me with accountability. Accountability is a blessing. It invites us to become better people than we were. It may not be easy when we are being called into account, but if we practice, it gets easier. If the task of being in religious community is to learn how to be the best selves we can, then accountability should be a part of our spiritual practice. So Reverend Walker declares that accountability is a tool on the way to becoming our best selves, and that learning to be our best selves, by some measures, is the purpose of religious community. So what did some of you say in answer to that question? What holds you accountable? You can just shout it out. Respect for myself? Just shout it out. No right or wrong answer. Love and trust. Love? What was that? Love and trust. An ethical code. code. Truth, morals, and ethics. ethics. My community. community. Anyone else? Guilt. (laughs) That's real. That is very real. (laughs) Did anyone say God? I was thinking a common answer was that I would fear. Yeah. Now, my answer would be God. Yeah, did anyone say God? It's okay if you didn't. Did anyone say family? Okay, some family. Did anyone say, like, faith or religion? What about community? We had one. Did anyone else say community? Anyone else? Okay, a couple. How people respond to your actions, so, like, the impact of your behaviors. I was so struck by me as the answer that so many gave online because it seems to me, at least, that a better answer than me would be we, right? We hold each other accountable, The communities we build that seek to make this world better, that seek to partner with us as we better ourselves, these are communities that hold us accountable to our vision of our best self, but also to the shared values, the shared future, the shared understanding of what it means to be part of a community in the first place. We Unitarian Universalists have always placed and do still place a strong emphasis on community. 
It's where we learn to be our best selves. It's where we learn how to companion others on the journey of life. It's where we learn that we're never alone. Community was always vital to Unitarians and to Universalists, and it's why that critique about no hell, meaning no accountability, is such a ridiculous critique and always has been. One doesn't need God to be held accountable. One doesn't need threats of eternal damnation to be held accountable. A community that loves and cares enough to have hard conversations with each other is enough to do the job. A community that has shared visions for what the world can be is enough to hold us accountable. Far from a license to misbehave, the universalist belief in universal salvation led them straight to social justice, community development, the creation of heaven on earth. Their notion of everyone being saved was born from their deep belief that God was a loving parent and a loving parent wouldn't condemn. They believed, given that loving parent, that it was important to treat each other as though we came from the same loving parent. That's what they believed was real. They held each other accountable to a vision of our world as absolutely one world filled with siblings whose lives and futures and liberation and freedom depended on each other. They held each other accountable to their beliefs, their ideals, the community they sought to build, just as we strive to do. But this stuff isn't easy, I realize that. A reading from this morning highlights this, as did Cheryl's piece about what it felt like being held to account. In the reading, Reverend Dennison struggled to find the balance between affirming and holding a group accountable. In her email, Reverend Walker owned how it felt to be held to account and offered that defensiveness was her first reaction. That's typical, right? We feel bad awkward, uncomfortable, ashamed, guilty when we've done something wrong or something that's hurt someone else. And we know that's the typical reaction, which makes it that much harder for us to call another person out. We don't want to make them feel bad. We also don't want to be on the receiving end of defensiveness. But the reality is the communities that are doing the work of helping each other become their best selves, that are doing the work of transformation and change, that are doing the work of honest and deep loving, those are communities that step into those challenging conversations together. They are communities of people that can say, this is hard to say, but I'm going to do it anyway, with kindness and compassion. They're communities of people that can say, this is hard to hear, but I'm going to listen and try not to defend myself until I have really heard. Today is our annual meeting. It's a time when we hold each other accountable to our best selves, but to our shared vision of the future. And I come back to that Ken Patton reading that I shared as our opening words because it offers to us different ways that we hold each other as a community. And those different ways that we hold each other as a community, care for each other as a community, exist as a community, make holding each other to account possible. Reverend Patton describes a house for human nature with all its frailties and vagaries. For me, this implies a place where we accept shortcomings even as we encourage transformation, where we accept the inevitability of mistakes and we offer forgiveness, where we can be held to account with kindness and grace. 
He describes a house of encouragement and struggle, freedom and dignity and friendship. To me, that means a house, a community, a home of real love, love that recognizes the inherent worth of all, that understands that each of us faces struggles and needs encouragement, love that is determined to achieve the freedom of all of us through the liberating forces of compassion and justice. It's a house where we can be held to account with a shared vision of freedom. He describes a house for the free voice, for conflict and truth-seeking. This means a community strong enough to hold challenge, strong enough for disagreements, committed and whole and healthy enough to hold a variety of viewpoints, where we can be held to account in ways that don't ask us to conform unthinkingly, but that do ask us to privilege not ourselves or our own needs, but the good of all and the dreamed-of future that we share. He describes a house of science and mysticism and art and music, where all of our human needs and pursuits that offer truth and meaning are valued and seen, where we can be held to account in all our varied fullness with truth and depth and meaning at the center. He describes a house of prophecy, a house of the future, of progress, where we don't cling to the past or get stuck in how things have been, but where we look to the future and imagine what it could be, where we are held to account by a sense of possibility and openness, by a community that says, yes, let's try it. He describes a house that privileges, values, understands, looks for, builds, and believes in our common endeavor. He's describing a home, a community that deeply grasps our interconnectedness, where we are indeed held to account by the community, each to each, visioning a greater and brighter future. Accountability isn't easy, but it is central to our mission here, our mission to grow and to transform and to change the world. It's also central to our inheritance as Unitarian Universalists, and it is central to a changed future. May we each hold each other and be held accountable by each other with grace, humor, compassion, and love so that we can become our best selves and create heaven on earth. So may it be.